0: It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, the radio voice of roller derby in North Carolina and America's recruiting guru, Dan Tudor.
1: And welcome to another edition of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. This is Dan. And one of the big things that as we start new new athletic years that coaches are always curious about is what what changes have taken place with the the team that i just recruited the freshman that just showed up on campus compared to three or four or five years ago uh because what we know as coaches this generation always changes the athletes that you inherit through recruiting and once they come to your program um they're different than the ones that you, that you did that process with a couple of years ago and we're talking today with somebody who i think is going to give us some good insights on this and. We were doing work at a Division One volleyball client that we work with, that um, that our guest as well, Brian Brown works with, and we, we won't mention the name of the the program. But the I've sat in on the last ten minutes of his talk before we were doing some some focus group stuff with uh, with some of their freshmen, and Brian Brown nailed it what he was talking about with this team was right on. He really elicited some great interactions, some great conversation and um, got a chance to talk with him afterwards. And now we're connecting with him here for a little more of an extended conversation. So uh, Brian Brown of the 127 group uh, works with uh, college athletic departments, college programs, but also um, businesses, churches, organizations, anything uh, and anyone that needs to communicate better and understand each other better. So Uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking a little bit of time out of your busy day to to join us. Thanks so much for the
2: opportunity. It was great to meet you the other day and look forward to the relationship that uh, we started.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to jump right into it. Um, This generation, which you get to talk to all the time, and the thing that makes you unique is that you're face to face with them and you're hearing and extracting answers from them. And I say it that way because it's not easy to get them to talk a lot of the time. But you get a chance to observe and and then compare, again, what you were doing most recently with that D1 volleyball staff uh, and compare it to over the years in your work in, uh, with the 127 group. And I'm just wondering if you could paint a big picture where are these kids at, the athletes, especially at high levels, but really throughout college athletics what are they coming in with and what's the baggage what are what are their strengths what give me sort of the overview of what you kind of would assess or define this generation as knowing of course that there's you know there's exceptions to every rule but in general what do you what do you see
2: yeah I think you know uh I was on a zoom call yesterday with a coach at a power five school that I've worked with for for a while now and um he made this statement uh, to an individual that was on the call that when they started working with me, they had, as a university, they had no mental health professionals on staff, mm-hmm. uh, but now they they employ at least three and they're completely overloaded. And if you, if you think about it at an elite level, when whether it's valid or not, we, we always say that at an elite level, it's 90% mental. Well, if uh, what we see is that the the world is, you know, I don't know if you, you know, Dan, if you've ever heard the phrase VUCA, uh, but a lot of times people will use that to describe the current condition of, of the of the world, that it's volatile, it's uncertain, it's complex, and it's ambiguous. Hmm. And we know that if you don't fight against it, people can kind of conform to that pattern. And with all that complexity and uncertainty, then what—at least what I've seen—is that there's a there's a rise in um, anxiety, um, especially when it comes to performance anxiety with with athletes. Uh, some of the organizations that I work with globally that survey kind of the next generation they've talked about, at least in the U S that about 66% of U S teens struggle with hang high, high anxiety. And I, I think that's probably, a, a, I don't know what you've seen, but I think it may be even higher with athletes mm-hmm. when I sit in a room with, with athletes and just say, Hey, how many of you struggle with performance anxiety? Then it, it it sure seems at that level like
1: 80 to 90 percent of their hands go up and i don't know i mean yeah in general we don't focus as much on uh what you focus on uh in your work which is you know team building and cohesiveness and getting everybody moving in in the same direction we're very much analyzing um you know the way that decisions are made and sort of the inside process of, of recruiting but it really, in, in both instances, where I've seen examples of what you're talking about, my question to you, and this is, I'm not asking you, maybe I am asking you to give a diagnosis to the nation. Um, what's causing this? Because I think what what I hear from coaches, which is our main audience, coaches, athletic directors, who are trying to figure all this out, is in, in you know, I guess, in simple terms, hey, how did this happen? Because I, I didn't have this as a coach or a player back 10, 15, 30 years ago. And now we see these athletes inheriting all this. What, what is the cause in your opinion, just from hearing athletes talk and getting a chance to work more closely with them than we do?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, first off, it's the, probably the expectation, um, you know, that there, and that expectation then creates a pressure, whether it's, it's real or perceived. And so, you know, I it's back, I think when you were, one of the things that I was communicating to that volleyball team is that you assign the weight on that pressure. And as Billie Jean King, you know, the plaque at the US Open, at this level, pressure is a privilege, but it's still how you perceive it and, and the weight you add to it. And I think uh, those expectations have um, I, I, I know, so I'm a, a father of two former Division I athletes, and I know as, as parents, we sacrificed a lot for the, the training and everything else so that they could excel at their sport. Well, that sacrifice, whether it was time or money or everything, as much as we tried not to put that expectation, there was an expectation because mom and dad were making the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So you, you always had to fight that tension. And so I think that pressure also comes from, uh, from social media, from, you know, they, I don't know if you've ever heard the term FOPO. Uh, it's fear of other people's opinion. And mm-hmm. because today of- <laughs> Just, uh, they say that that is, that fear is equitable to death, which we would, we've always had that peer pressure, but now, uh, today's, it's uh, that pressure just, uh, if you're, if you can't reframe, then that pressure uh, gets really, really heavy on you.
1: So, I mean, you bring something up that, um, you know, whether it's the perception of, of, the, the sacrifice and that pressure that they're putting on themselves or the fear of other people's opinions uh, and, and, you know, likening that to death. As you were talking about that again, I'm going to contrast generation. So I'm an eighties kid, a Gen Xer, and we may have had pressure, but we dealt with it differently and maybe who knows incorrectly, but we did. We dealt with it differently. And we don't see that with this generation. I'm just wondering, and again, uh, your observations only because there's a lot of different reasons that somebody could need to see a mental health professional and, as a college athlete and what's going on at home. But there's a stark difference between you know the generation from 20, 30, 40 years ago and now this generation that's growing up that I think what I hear coaches saying is, they're not they don't handle it the same that we did and again maybe maybe we handled it poorly and they're the ones that are handling it intelligently but it's so different how did we get there like what 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 is the what is the the diagnosis of how how they're so different if if you have any opinions on that i think it
2: goes back to you know whether you fight against it then you conform to that pattern Mm -hmm. and i Think that it, at least in my and this is just my opinion. Yeah, absolutely, culture. Um, I think we have adopted a victim mentality instead of a victor. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the Vision One programs that I, I work with happen to be Nike schools, and I always have you know uh, always at least to help reframe, um in a match in a in a game. When things get really, really tough, I always have them, hey, remember, look down at that logo, because that logo actually comes from the word Nikeo, which means overcomer or victor. And Mm so I'm not a victim of my circumstance. This is teaching me to be an overcomer in life, Mm -hmm. that the game, and I want to use the game to prepare me for life, not to let the game use me. And it's like, okay, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to prove to myself that I can be an overcomer, that when I tell myself those words have validity because I have something, I have a a, a bank of work that I can go back to and say, you know what? I, I did this. I am an yeah. overcomer.
1: Okay. So so even zeroing in on, <clears throat> on that, um, there's – that that teaching point. Why why are we having to teach it to them now? Where I think a lot of coaches assume that they should come in with that. You've worked hard. You've had success. You've gone through this process. And uh, you know, there's. I think they're they're curious about what I hear coaches asking about when this topic comes up is it is how do they show up this way? What what has happened or not happened in the process? Where again maybe. Um, Through the same workouts, the same, uh, you know, practice session, evolving as an athlete um, in previous generations, we would have just come in with like, hey, I can handle this now because I have overcome all these different things. Is it because we as parents have jumped in and we've coordinated everything and it's a little bit, you know, we've cleared such a path that they haven't had to do a lot of the clearing uh, themselves or and you're sort of smiling and and i see that maybe i'm on to something i think i uh i i, th- I don't know that well, i think we
2: were naive sometimes as parents um I, i'm a true believer that in your suffering it produces perseverance and perseverance uh character i i think i, I know as a as a parent to fight that tension of removing sure. obstacles for my kids to be successful in doing that. I sometimes didn't allow my kids to suffer or struggle through something that the long-term gain was developing their character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and my wife and I, Tammy, man, we struggled with that all the time. It was like, look, we're Uh, this is sports is about who you're becoming it's not about what you do right now and leveraging that to go okay this is a step then your character development not so much as a parent not putting so much weight on their performance but more who they are not what they do right and i think so in essence you you hear it all the time you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a baby boomer. I'm, I'm old, you know, turning 60, um, in a couple of months and you hear, whether it's our generation or other generations, uh, describe this group as entitled. Well, that's the story that they've, they've heard. And those stories then form beliefs that drive your behavior. And if you You know, if you grow up and all you hear is, oh, you're special, you deserve this, Um, it it will tend to, you start to believe that. And then you're, well, I don't have to put in the effort uh, to get
1: this. Mm. Yeah, and a lot of coaches are observing that sometimes the athlete, when they get to college, sort of feels like, hey, I did it. I've arrived. My reward is the college education. And the coach, meanwhile, is looking and saying, hey, now it's time to, you got to work hard. <laughs> Wait, I have to keep working hard? Wait, I thought this was the reward. And they're sometimes shocked that they're not, you know, just going to walk in and, and get the, you know, get the starting position as their reward. I'll give you a prime example. I mean, I was uh, a, a Division One program.
2: Um, the coach called me and said, okay, I have a kid that, um He's thinking about entering the portal. And uh his thing was is I I won't enter the portal if you guarantee me playing time next year. Mm. It was in the starting lineup, and it's like, oh, I don't want to have to do the work to get in the lineup. I want you to guarantee me so that I don't go somewhere else. Right. And I mean and I think that's, I mean, I don't know how many of you have, I think that would probably be a lot of coaches having to deal with that. Now, there's the expectation that I deserve this, not earn it. And that's that's a tough spot.
0: Tudor University has been the standard for advanced training and education for college coaches who want to truly learn to recruit effectively. And now it's all new. The latest techniques, the newest trends, and how coaches need to change their approach with this class of recruits. For ongoing education that will help you run a better program, go to dantutor.com and click on the Tudor University button to see why coaches everywhere have trusted it for more than a decade. And now, back to the show.
1: Right, it is. And I think one of the things that really jumped out at me when I listened to your presentation, when you talked about the transfer portal with this team, that you know, your main message was, "Hey, you know, stick it out." There's, there is, there is something you know to be said for going, you know, that that hard road and everything. And then, I will share with you that when uh, I took over part of the athletes and and for my session afterwards, after you had left, um, I reiterated the fact that, hey, what Brian just told you about sticking it out, that the tough part, you know, enjoy the process. You're going to learn way more through the hardship, and no matter what the role is. You know you're going to learn from that and, and i was sort of you know i got some nods and but it's almost like this is a new concept and i'm thinking well this is this is the way that you know i did it as an athlete you just at all levels i mean whether it was little league or high school or beyond that you you suffered and you you scratched and you clawed and you learned resilience and everything and so yeah to your point maybe that's been lost a little bit i mean, not that athletes don't work hard now because they do incredibly you know work hard but um the transfer portal seems to be this thing that is almost an outlet now for the it's, it's like a procedural um, process that's a maybe just a natural byproduct of what um you know what we're what we've always given this generation you know to you know to have which is you know here's the way out it's you know And that's just, it's so different from, you know, again, we we get this generation gap between coaches and athletes. um, And, you know, so we get a lot of questions about handling the the transfer portal for sure.
2: And I think, you know, and I think that's, uh, especially for an older generation of coaches, um, one of the things, like you said earlier, I, I have a privilege and I'm humbled beyond belief that I get to teach uh, leadership around the globe. And a lot of times, especially with dealing with in the private sector in businesses, I'm trying to teach, uh, I'm trying to help the the generations understand each other. So if you're an older coach like and you're, you know, tail end, maybe like me, a baby boomer and that kind of thing, what what they typically had, we we as baby boomers typically had one career with uh, one to two jobs. Mm -hmm. Friend that just recently um he he, he had a 40-year career with the same uh, uh company well you know you kind of move that down and even career builder talks about you know this next generation will have eight to ten different careers and an unlimited amount of jobs well right you and i know that that yes you can have competency but to be really great which requires how do i take those ac- competencies and apply them in in unique situation that requires wisdom and those things are built over time and if you don't stay in something very long then you lose out on that wisdom and you know whether whether you take it as valid or not, that the whole law of 10,000 hours, I mean, you just have to stay in it long enough to, to to develop that, being able to, what I say, value appraise, look at a situation and be able to appraise the value and make the decisions properly. And if you don't, if you don't stay in it long enough, then I, it, yeah I, I don't know that i have the skills that wisdom to be able to apply those things and mm-hmm. and that goes back to you know the word character means literally means someone who's been tested and shown to be reliable and trustworthy and mm-hmm. that testing you know you have to stay in it and that's that perseverance and you uh then your character and i it, We've all seen, Dan, you've seen it. You take a, someone that is that is highly gifted, but if your character can't sustain that those gifts, then you're an implosion waiting to happen. And right. we've, over the years, is we've taken, I mean, you in college sports, you've seen um, 20-year-olds who had incredible giftedness but didn't have the character to make wise decisions that then not only took themselves out, but they may have taken out a university that is built, it, built over hundreds of years. And that's
1: a, that's the state we're in. Yeah. So we're talking with Brian Brown from the one, two, seven group. You can go to his website, the one, two, seven group.com. Uh, if you are a coach athletic director listening to this, um, can't recommend Brian enough for what he does with, athletes coaching staffs to get them connected all moving in the right direction and really doing a great job of teaching some really vital principles to to college athletes um in the the eight or nine minutes we have left with you brian um my my question now revolves to okay we've 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 sort of assessed and, and diagnosed some of the things with this generation um our audience is coaches I don't wanna leave them without some recommendations from you as to how to how to bridge these gaps and how to take a team, especially freshmen coming in and making sure they feel connected, they understand the process, they understand what that college program is all about. Cause I think they're coming in with a lot of misconceptions, which is why you're so busy. Um, but um, I'm just wondering what, if you had to give us a you know a three, four or five step, you know, um, way to app- start approaching this issue, if you're a coach listening to this and trying to connect with your team, what what would sort of get us started on the on those steps? What are they? I, I think the
2: first thing is, man, more than ever because there is some uncertainty and ambiguity. Every athlete, uh, the stories they've heard, there, all you see is the tip of the iceberg, but everything else. It, everything that you can't see requires, uh, you to be able to listen and empathize, uh, and that's meaning to understand why their decisions make sense, and that'll make you a better leader, and so I, I think first off, it's, um, it's a, it's kind of a, it is a new world out there, and you have to become, uh, you have to be the, chief learner within your organization and and I and I love the college athletic field because it it's an incubator for me to learn what the next generation is go bringing in and then how do you achieve high performance uh man as a coach you have the incredible ability to shape the next generation I um I tell athletes all the time on campuses man, you relish the program you're in because there's 15,000 other students who are not learning to multitask, handle the discipline, be pushed to be your best as much as an athlete is. And when in a world that is craving uh, brave, courageous leaders, um, sports has the ability to shape them. And so, I, you know, take the phrase that I use all the time is um, use the game to prepare you for life. Don't let the game use you. And you have an incredible ability to shape them and shape the, um, the future, uh, not only in leaders in businesses, but leaders in their household, leaders in their community, And these athletes can learn to be uh, givers and not takers and and really help us uh, lead us into a better future. And so I just, you know, man, if you're a coach, I I just want to applaud you for what you do. I I know the demands that it takes on you, um, but that struggle and that perseverance for you also equates to who you're becoming and, and the fruit that you get to produce.
1: And just to follow up on that, when you bring in that freshman class, which many coaches are in the process of of doing and they're getting to know them and and getting them integrated with the team, what are the biggest obstacles or needs that you see in in for that for the typical freshman that comes onto a college campus, um, again, what are they bringing in that the coach should be aware of or ask about? or and and also a little bit about how to do that? if you're a coach, how do you even start the process of correctly evaluating where where the mental state and 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 you know the character and all the other things you talked about, you know, for that individual athlete? Yeah, you know,
2: Dan, I, I think that so we train uh, coaches globally uh, to do leadership. And one of the things that we train our coaches to do is very first the very first thing you have to do, is minimize uh, the threat because that's what it, it, God designed your brain to work in such a way that it's, it, we're an incredible uh, uh, survival mechanisms. But the very first thing your brain is doing is analyzing yeah. is this situation a threat. So as a coach, I have to make sure that even if an, an athlete's coming on and they're man, they're in a new environment they're you know, all that anxiety, I first have to realize, okay, I, what am I doing that might be threatening to them? The second thing is your brain asks: is uh, the next question is it, do they care? And Mm -hmm. so that you can say that I value you, not just necessarily what you do for my program. I want to, I want to serve you and I want to care for you. Then, then you're able to get into the problem solving side of the brain. And, but if you don't go through those two steps then you're going to waste a lot of time and energy trying to problem solve and you miss you didn't go through the steps to get there and so um you know that put yourself in their shoes man they are this is a brand new environment for them they're away from home they they were a big fish probably in a small pond now they're (laughs) stepping in And they're struggling with their identity and the questions of do I belong and all of that. So the more that you can at least uh, minimize the threat you bring, because they already feel everything else is threatening and they know that you care, then you can get on to, okay, let's let's help you achieve your best and let's be able to give you the ability to think.
1: Yeah. And and minimizing the threat doesn't mean you are you can't be a a a high intensity tough coach demanding the best. So we're not we're not saying that to a coach, but really it's just like you said, letting them know I'm on your side. And it's interesting, Brian, when we ask athletes, we assess how do they make a decision? And it's a big topic and there's lots of different nuanced, you know, levels and, and layers to that decision of how do I how do I choose one college over another. But you know what it almost always comes down to at some respect or some level is for the athletes, they tell us I need to feel like the coach likes me and that the team likes me and that I like them. And so it's interesting that in the world that, you know, sort of obsesses in college athletics about facilities and NIL and, you know, uniform combinations and how many championships have we won. And those are all, you know, important to a degree. They certainly open doors and, you know, give you access to a lot of good athletes if you're one of those programs. But at the core, and we see a lot of coaches missing this, it's, do they like me? Do I like them? And not only the coach, but the team. And, um, so it's just, it goes right along with what the, your observation was that at the end of the day, these are 17, 18 year old kids making a decision. Really, they're probably not qualified or, or trained to make. And now, um, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're yours coach. And so that's one of the ways to, um, uh, to, to, um, uh, you know, bring them in and, and integrate them.
2: Yeah, Dan. You, I mean, how many how many coaches you have you worked with that are nowadays uh culture is such a buzzword, uh, but the right. word culture really means it comes from cultivating the soil, and so what we try to do was help create a culture where where things naturally grow and thrive and. Mm-hmm. And you know, you, you you go back to your statement about you know, it, coach. You don't have to be. You don't have to be soft. You, uh, it, when you were saying that, I was thinking about Popovich. I mean, you know, man, he, he's a yeller and a screamer. But man, if you hear the stories about. What he does off the court to, to show his players that he cares and he's invested in them and that kind of thing gives him the right then to to push. I, I, and, and I try to help athletes understand all the time that like, no, you need this in your life because the only way you grow is outside your comfort zone. And if you don't have somebody pushing you outside that comfort zone you're not going to grow. Um, and so I have to create a culture where it's, that's expected that, I I'm going to be pushed, but this is the best place for me to grow as an individual. It's more about who I am becoming than what I do. And because, you know, I mean, we're sitting here talking, and I don't know your age, but I, I, I you know, I'm getting close to that 60 and we know as form, as a former athlete, the lights do go off and you don't get, you know, and the game is ended, but life goes on. And so the game has taught me so much and, and helped shape who I am and and that type of thing. And so um, I think it's important that you, you talked about facilities and all those things. I think those are the attractive, shiny things to get athletes there, but it's that culture that keeps them there uh, and keeps, jumping from one thing to another, looking for uh, for something else.
1: So we've been talking to Brian Brown from the 127 Group. All of his information is going to be in the show notes. Uh, again, really encourage you to go to the website, connect with Brian and find out about the work that he does, because I was really impressed with what I saw face-to-face as he was working with a, a, a very good team athletically. but you know, when the, the layers are peeled back and you know the, the talk happens, uh, a lot of insecurities and a lot of things that they're dealing with and struggling with. And I think uh, that's why I think this resonates so much with coaches. So Brian, thank you for, for being a part of uh, today's show and uh, continue the good work for sure. Absolutely, Dan. Thanks so much for the opportunity and look forward to the journey ahead.
0: College Recruiting Weekly is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2023 and 2024. To contact the host, email him at dan at dantutor.com. Also, remember to rate and review our podcast right now. Plus, tell your fellow coaches about the show. And stay tuned for the next amazing episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. Oh, oh.